Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, Don. J.J. Yes. Let's say you wake up in the middle of the night, and you are worried because the profit margin of your business has uh-huh. gone from 58% to 38%. <laughs> Hypothetically. Asking for a friend. <laughs> this happened to me two nights ago. I uh-huh. found out we'd gone from 58% to 38%. A lot of that was intentional because we were spending enormous amounts of money building a product that we won't release until November, so we can't make any money on yeah. the money that we're spending. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to kill your profit margin. And by the way, people are literally driving off the road going, 38% <laughs> is a problem? <laughs> yes, it's when you, it used to be 58 it was, Yes, it is. And also, people ask what I'm doing with that money. I write checks to the government. Uh, It's my charity (laughs) of choice, and uh, that's what I do. But sometimes that tension causes really wonderful things. It always has. It always has for this company. Whenever you kind of hit this rocky road, you go, okay, what can we do? And we just end up with really fantastic ideas. What is the first thing, because that's what today's interview is about. Keith Cunningham wrote a book called The Road Less Stupid. Yeah. He basically (laughs) talks about... He buys companies, uh-huh. and he doesn't flip them. He actually keeps them long-term. That's a different mindset. Yeah. So he's actually looking to make this company as profitable and efficient and culturally as uh, positive and healthy as possible. Yeah. And then that's it. He lets the company run itself. Yeah. But he has a, an algorithm for what he does. Yeah. What would you do? What's the first instinct? You go to a company that say, our profit margin is, went from 25% to zero. Uh-huh. We're losing a little money. What does Dr. J.J. Peterson do first? <laughs> you are really putting me on the spot. This one is this a curveball. This is a tough wow, one. Wow, because there's so many. Uh, my mind goes in five million different directions based on what the company is doing and everything. I think the very first thing I would do, which we do a lot when we work with strategy sessions, is identify what is the primary revenue stream. And how can we grow that quickly? There you go. So that's I, a, that, I would answer the same thing. The first thing you deal with is sales. Then you yep. deal with profitability. Yep. Then start dealing with, okay, do we have the right people in the right spots? Are right. we spending money in areas that we can cut back on? But the very first thing is identify. The paddles on the chest. Yes. Clear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's our <laughs> primary space money. of revenue and how can we get wind in that big sale quickly? Yeah. Well, probably beyond that is where Keith really starts. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you got to do that. And he's probably not buying any companies that aren't actually making money. Yeah, yeah. Um, but man, just common sense advice. And there's really, you know, he talks about three mistakes that you're making in your thinking and five ways that you need to think in order to quote unquote stop paying the dumb tax. Yeah. <laughs> and I lo- I just love this conversation. In fact, I wrote down something while we were doing the interview yeah. that hopefully today I'm going to be able to call Tim, and if he can meet today, our COO, and just say, I think we should do it this way and see what Tim thinks about it Yeah. in terms of our execution department. Today, you know, we talk a lot about philosophy in this. Today's practical wisdom. Super practical. Super, super practical wisdom. His name is Keith Cunningham. He lives in Austin, Texas. He's got a book called The Road Less Stupid, and he owns about eight or ten companies. And he has a bunch of masterminds that he meets with to help other people. You get free consulting today, free practical advice from the Yoda of small business. (laughs) Uh, Here's my conversation with Keith Cunningham. Keith Cunningham, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Don. I have been looking forward to this and have been ad- an admirer of yours and the work you're doing. And so rest assured, this is a pleasure. 
Well, you're running about, well, you own about 10 businesses, right? Well, we own a handful of businesses and we've been very fortunate because we've been able to structure those businesses so that I don't have to be there (laughs) all day long, every day. I've got a lot of questions about that. One of the things that I was looking forward to most about talking to you is you're not just an author. Your book is The Road Less Stupid, and we're going to get into that in a minute. You're a practitioner. A lot of business writers, they worked in business at one time and they write books about it, but they're not currently operating a business, much less two, much less three, much less as many as you are. I'm just curious, how did you get started in business? How did you realize that you were good at it? And how did you get to what you're doing now? Well, the beginning was that years and years ago, having finished business school at the University of Texas... I wound up going to work for several entrepreneurs, two entrepreneurs specifically here in Austin, Texas, television business. And I was very fortunate that these guys became not only my mentors, but they adopted me effectively in business and allowed me to begin to develop some business skills. I will tell you that most of the lessons that I've learned in any of the wisdom that I've been able to achieve over the last 50 years of being in business is a result of having made some mistakes. And I've made some doozies over the course of the last, you know, 48, 49, 50 years. Mm -hmm. And so over time, I began acquiring businesses. I don't start that many businesses, but I've acquired businesses. And my big muscle is identifying opportunities And then figuring out how to not only run the business as opposed to operate it, but simultaneously, how do we nurture and grow the business and by hiring really, really quality people. What are you looking for in a business? I mean, what did you see in some of the businesses that you acquired that you thought Keith Cunningham fits this in terms of making it better? I've developed a set of rules that effectively the rules are designed to protect me from me. And so what I need is a set of boundaries or guardrails. And my guardrails are that I have things like I buy for the long term. It's got to be a business where I bring my expertise, but not my time. It has to be a business that I can find other people to run it day to day since I'm not, I don't have operator muscles. The businesses that we're in, that we own, I don't even have a key to the front door. If there's a security breach in the middle of the night, I don't get the telephone call. So my business, the way they're set up is that I have operators operating, which allows me to run the business into the business. Meaning you're thinking future strategy. When you say you don't have operator muscles, what muscles do you have? Do you have are you a visionary? Do you have ability to think strategy? Do you have ability to smell what's profitable, what's not profitable? I'm I'm curious as the you know, I don't want to call it a chop shop. After it goes through the Keith Cunningham filter, what happens to the business to make it high performing? So I think there's several things that a CEO needs to do that a CEO brings to the table. And if a CEO doesn't bring these things to the table, then they're going to wind up being more in an operator kind of mode. For example, I think that one of my jobs is to figure out the obstacle that's in the way. 
what's blocking the forward progress of the company, which is very different than understanding the symptom or the gap. So, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask people, Don, is if I gave you the ability to unwind any three financial decisions you've ever made, (laughs) how much money would you have? And it turns out the key to creating business or financial success is to avoid doing stupid things. Yeah, you call it the dumb tax in your book. Stop paying the dumb tax. That's right. And when I look at some of my dumb tax, some of the mistakes, these are avoidable mistakes. These are things, had I been more thoughtful, had I been a little more skeptical, had I questioned a little bit harder some of the assumptions that I was making, I could have avoided doing stupid things. And so one of my jobs as the CEO is to think about where are the opportunities, what are the obstacles, what's the strategy that I'm going to deploy, what's the machine I need to build to overcome the obstacle. I think one of my big muscles is prioritization, figuring out the one thing. What am I optimizing for? And based on that, how do I organize and structure the organization? How do I allocate resources? That's one of the big jobs of a CEO. I think one of the big jobs of a CEO, so all of that is in the structure category. You've got to fix the structure. Is that the first thing that you're doing? That's right. That's the very first thing is, okay, structurally, what are we trying to do here? Structurally, what's the obstacle? What's the strategy? What's the machine? What are the priorities? How do I allocate resources? All of that is under structure. The second thing is that I think is the key and a big muscle that I have is what's the leverage? How do I get leverage in this organization? And leverage can happen with people. It can happen with knowledge. It can happen with strategic alliances. It could happen with how am I positioning what we're doing so that there's a difference that makes the difference? Define leverage in this context. Are you saying like, How can we do the least to get the most return or how can we leverage our platform in the market? I mean, explain leverage. Leverage means so many different things. What do you mean by it? There's lots of forms of leverage. And when most people talk about leverage, they're thinking about leveraging other people's money. And certainly that's one form of leverage. Another way to think about it is how do we do less and get more, although that particular definition is not very appealing to me. I think a better way to think about it is what are our underutilized assets? Gotcha. Since there's a limited amount of Keith, there's a limited amount of Don, who do I need around me that are A players that will help me move the needle, kick the can and make some progress? And So leverage to me more often than not means these are the resources around me or these are the underutilized strengths or assets that the business has. So a way to think about this is there's a lot of attraction that I have towards new shiny initiatives. So, you know, a new idea comes up, a new possibility and While those are fun and exciting, they don't always leverage off of a core strength or an underutilized asset 
or the people, the structure that I have in place. I often call that chasing $5,000 to lose 50. There you, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So leverage is the second key component. And then the third and final key component that I bring to the table is understanding the idea of optics and measuring and the importance of having a dashboard, understanding that there's critical drivers. What are the key things that I need to be measuring? What are the dashboards? What are the standards that I've put in place? And how do I organize the company and each job in the company so that the work they're doing is contributing to the outcome or the priority that we have. You're looking for lead lag measures. You're looking for the things that are going to predict future revenue. There you go. And you want to look at them every day and keep people accountable to make those things. Uh, That's exactly keep it. Growing. So the idea is differentiate between cause and effect. I'm looking for what can I measure that are the causes of the outcomes or the objectives or the effects that I want. And one of my favorite thoughts is whenever the outcome or the effect is missing, so is the cause. Hmm. So it's cause and effect. And if I can get clarity, the easy part is getting clarity on what I want. That part is easy. Everybody I know has clarity on Oz. The problem is most people don't have clarity on where they are. That's point A. So they don't have clarity that they're in Kansas. They have clarity they want to get to Oz, nor do they have clarity on the yellow brick road that needs to be built that'll get them from Kansas to Oz. Well, you talk about three kinds of mistakes people make in their thinking. We're going to get into the five core disciplines of smart thinking later. But I want to go through the three things that a lot of us are doing that is causing us trouble. One of them is obsessing about Oz. But before that, you talk about generalizations will kill clarity. You don't want us to think in generalizations. You want us to dial down a little further than that. Is that right? Yeah. Look, I think the easiest thing to do and the safest thing to do is to be fluffy with outcomes. I think that we tend to say things like, we're going to improve, we're going to do better, we're going to increase sales. The outcome or the objective that's typically stated is we're going to do better, we're going to try harder. And the reality is that allows for a lack of accountability. Hmm. Anybody who doesn't want to measure doesn't want to be held accountable. Wow, that is huge. It is so true. I would imagine, you know, if you have an execution team that's not giving people specific goals, they also don't want to have to hold you accountable to those goals, too. It goes both ways, right? That's exactly right. If there's an organization that operates off of fluffy, hand-waving, generalized, you know, that we're going to be the best and our customers are going to love us and we're going to solve world hunger, they winds up being this hand-waving, fluffy kind of thing, as opposed to a specific measurable outcome. And without that outcome, the organization drifts to fluffy kinds of activities, and everybody's trying really hard. They're good people. They want to achieve. The problem is 
they don't have any standards or measurements in place that will tell them whether or not they're making an A. We're doing it story brand right now. We're growing so quickly. We've got about 20 people, but we had you know 10 people a year ago. So we're growing and we have an execution team that keeps everybody accountable to the primary three objectives each week. However, what we're about to implement is I need to know what your primary objectives are, what you're trying to do, how that affects the bottom line. And then I need to know repeatable tasks that you will do every day, every week, every month that we can hold you accountable to that directly affect the bottom line. The only reason for that is we don't want people to lose a sense of what is your primary task. For, you know, for me, I've got to film a Business Made Simple video every day. I've got to record one podcast every week, and I've got to spend two days writing future books. If I do, do those three things, my part of the company is going to be fine, and we need that answered with every single team member. Are those the kind of specifics that you're talking about? That's exactly it. Yeah. It is a specific, measurable quantifiable, deliverable by a certain date. Without that level of specificity, either on the deliverable or the date, you wind up with a well-intentioned organization. The problem is the well-intentioned organization doesn't make the progress that they'd like to have. So that's one part of it. There's another part of it, which is we tend to allow a statement of the outcome to be a substitute for the roadmap. So putting that on a bumper sticker, I might say a statement of the destination is not a substitute for the roadmap. So we're going to do 20 million in 2020 is not a roadmap. That's just a goal. That's it. That's an outcome. That's a goal or a target. You got to have a target, but the key is how do I translate that target into an executable plan? In other words, I want to get to Oz. What's the yellow brick road that needs to be built that will get me from where I am to what I want? So a great example of this would be Google Maps. When you're in your car and you, you know, kind of get lost or you need some help getting from point A to point B, you can enter into Google Maps where you want to go. Now, the reason Google Maps works is because it knows two things. It knows where you want to go, but more importantly, it knows where you are. If it doesn't know where you are, it can't give you directions to what you want. And a mistake that business owners tend to make is they obsess about what they want and don't have clarity on where they are and therefore, they can't build a Google map that will get them from here to there. So Google Maps is the plan. This Here's the plan. We know the destination. Here's the roadmap. And the roadmap works because we have clarity on point A. I wrote down as you were talking, have an overall company goal, turn that goal into a plan, turn that plan into department goals, turn department goals into individual goals, turn individual goals into repeatable tasks, and then have accountability meetings to keep us accountable on those individual tasks and to hit those goals. Love that. Okay, great. We're going to implement that. I've been wondering how we were going to do this recently. You're helping a great deal. All right, generalizations aren't very good. We need a plan. We need specific goals. You also warn us about, and you talked a little bit about it earlier, obsessing about Oz. Now, those of us who are visionary leaders, I have a feeling this is a big temptation for us. What do you mean by obsessing about Oz? So obsessing about Oz is falling in love with the vision 
when what we ought to be falling in love with and creating is the path or the plan that will allow us to get from here to there. And that plan requires priorities and allocation of resources. So it's the plan and the roadmap that's critical to the execution. So visualizing an outcome without simultaneously visualizing or developing the plan, the machine that is going to allow us to get from where we are to what we want. To me, a vision without a plan is interesting, but it's somewhat delusional. People do it all the time. People do it with their weight. They do it with their health. They do it with their exercise. You know, they make a new year's resolution. They have great intentions. You know, they pound the table. They say, this is, I'm over it. I'm finally going to take action on this. And they make it a smart goal. They get lots of clarity around the outcome. They can make it further away. They can visualize it coming towards them. They can put color on it. They do all these exercises that are typical with the goal setting crowd. And then they get started and the thing doesn't really materialize. You know, it's a burst of energy without the sustainable execution that would allow the thing to actually come into being. So to me, I'm great with having the vision, but somehow that vision has to be translated into Here's the priorities. Here's the people that we need. Here's the machine we're going to build. Here's the strategy and plan that we're going to deploy and execute on. Here's the milestones. Here's how we're going to get optics to see whether or not we're making progress. And if you don't have that, let me say it this way. Progress is not possible without measurement. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. So understanding all of the pieces of the plan is what makes the outcome achievable. Well, I would imagine that your third point goes into this too, that once you actually stop obsessing about Oz and stop thinking about the vision and stop thinking about how exciting things are going to be and begin really getting into the weeds on the plan to get there, you stop doing the third thing that you recommend us not doing. And that is having faulty assumptions. <laughs> I can't tell you how many visionary leaders I've talked to and they want to do this, this, and that. And I say, the market's not going to sustain this, and here's why. And they don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about that. They want to cross that bridge when we come to it. And at that point, I'm kind of out. I'm not going to be able to help you because you've got faulty assumptions. Faulty assumptions are what causes mistakes. You know, it's what causes misses. And... To me, business is an intellectual sport. Business and money respond really well to the intellect and respond poorly to emotions. Business responds poorly to emotional, glandular kinds of decisions. In my world, and if you look at you know, people like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or Michael Dell, they spend an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out not only what do they want, but more importantly, what could happen that could derail, that could disrupt the future stream of earnings. We tend to be incredibly optimistic when it comes to our ideas. And one of the 
values of having a board of directors, for example, is that you have a group of smart people who are questioning and poking and prodding. They're adding voices to the conversation. They're allowing you to get a different perspective. And more often than not, that perspective is around what could go wrong. There's a three-part test that the most successful investors in the world is their Bible. And the three-part question is, number one, what's the upside? Hmm. We tend to be terrific as business owners. We tend to be terrific at envisioning the upside. But there's a second question. What's the downside? In other words, what could go wrong? It's almost a future pace of here are all the things that could go wrong. And if it does go wrong, this is what it looks like. So what's the upside? What's the downside? And then question three, which only the pros will ask this question is, can I live with a downside? Most people never get to thinking about what could go wrong. And so as a result, they wind up with overly optimistic assumptions and don't think through the possible second order consequences. And as a result, wind up paying a dumb tax. And what I want to do is I want to avoid the dumb tax. I'll be back with the rest of my conversation with Keith Cunningham in just a moment. Do you know the one thing that you do that makes the most money for your company? The one thing that you do? I do. I actually have to write books. I have to create content. So what we did on my team is we took all day Monday and said, you can't book Don for anything on Monday. Monday morning, about 7.30 a.m., I show up. By the time the staff shows up at 9, I've already written about a 1,000 words. I usually drink a little coffee, talk to people, pet the dogs, because we have dogs all over this place. And then I come back up. I do another hour and a half or two hours. I get another 1,000 words. I have to get 2,500 words done on Monday. If I don't get them done on Monday, we also open up Tuesday morning until noon for me to write and Wednesday morning until noon for me to write. And then Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon are meetings, Thursday, Friday, all meetings. We do that because if I don't sit down and write, we won't make millions of dollars two years from now. It's the most important thing that I can do. Then there are secondary priorities, filming business-made simple videos and recording our podcast. Those are secondary things that I need to do. Every employee should know what they are supposed to do, the repeatable tasks, the repeatable tasks that make the company the most money. And they should guard their time. They should guard their schedule to get those tasks done. If your employees don't know that, you are losing money because you are running an inefficient machine. I teach you how to get each of your employees to understand this at Business Made Simple. It's free, by the way. Businessmadesimple.com is where you go to sign up for a free morning video. Every morning you get a video, and I teach you some bit of business wisdom that is designed to make you money, save you money, or somehow advance your career. You're going to have better relationships. You're going to have better efficiency. You're going to have better productivity. You're going to get more done. You're going to be less tired if somebody speaks into your life every morning. Who is speaking into your life? If there's nobody, you're definitely giving away your life, but nobody is giving you life. You're going to feel drained. Go to businessmadesimple.com, and I'll share with you a piece of business wisdom every morning. Again, it's completely free. Sign up at businessmadesimple.com. Keith, you talk about in the book five 
core concepts, core disciplines of avoiding the dumb tax, what you've got to do. We don't have a lot of time, but I want to go through them. The book, by the way, is The Road Less Stupid, if you want to read all about this. The first one is Find the Unasked Question. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, what we tend to do, and this is, I think, human nature, is we tend to ask relatively poor questions. We ask questions that start with, why does it look this way? Or we start with, my sales aren't high enough. What do I need to do? And so as a result, we pivot to tactical kinds of answers Hmm. instead of looking for strategic kinds of answers. So it's why most people, when their sales are inadequate, the first thing they do is hire a a website person or a social media person or an SEO person, because what they're trying to do is they're trying to fix the symptom, the most obvious thing that's in front of them, instead of getting clarity on what the core root problem is. And this I'm kind of blending number one and number two here on this list of five core disciplines. If we can find the question that would allow us to get clarity on the underlying obstacle. So if somebody says the reason my financial results aren't good or is what I want them to be is because my sales aren't high enough. That's the symptom, right? What I need to do is ask a question that says, why aren't my sales higher? And the answer could be customers aren't buying enough or uh, my sales cycle time frame is too long or the I lack referrals and repeat business or you know my customers are buying too much from the competition. Any one of those is a different problem that would require a different machine. And so the idea is Let me get clarity on the underlying problem by framing the right question. If I get the question wrong, I'm going to wind up building a machine for the problem that isn't. We're basically fixing a crack in the drywall when we've got a problem in our foundation. There it is, right there. All right, so find the unasked question. I think that's the key to the growth of my company is I hired somebody once who, really good person, good leader too, But one of the reasons they didn't work out here is their solution to everything we wanted to do was to go study other companies and see what they were doing. And I just thought, I don't think the other companies have found the brilliant idea. It's interesting to go look and see what they're doing, but there's a brilliant idea beyond this, and that's where the million-dollar idea is. And I think that's part of the unasked question is really getting to the root of things and figuring out why is this happening, not how can I fix it with a patch. All right, you kind of did blend one and two. Find the unasked questions. Number two is separate the problem from the symptom. And then number three is check assumptions. And check assumptions, I would imagine, is um, when they think something's going to really work, nobody wants to do a deep dive to figure out why it might not. That's right. There's a great tool that I learned years and years ago, and I wish I knew who I learned it from, and I'd give them credit. But the tool is called a pre-mortem instead of a post-mortem. We know what a post-mortem is. Post-mortem is, you know, the patient has died and we're going to figure out why they died. A pre-mortem is right before you make a decision or select a strategy or, you know, invest money, right before you do that, you fast forward in your brain a year from now. And so it's a year from now, and you're looking back over the last year, and the decision you're about to make in real time 
has turned into a dumpster fire. This thing is a train wreck. It's a giant mess. So fast forwarding a year from now, looking back at this train wreck that's happened, make a list of all the things that went wrong. And it's called a pre-mortem. And what it does is allows you to check on some of the assumptions. So we make the assumption that if we hire the SEO expert, that that's going to drive revenue by 20%. And we're going to pay $30,000 for this exercise. Well, okay, let's fast forward a year from now and look back and say, okay, this didn't work. Why didn't this work? Yeah, and then you can prevent those mistakes. That's exactly right. Now you're testing your assumptions that you're making, and you're saying, wait a minute, are there some things that I've cooked into this saying where I'm being a little bit overly optimistic and haven't asked the question, what could go wrong? It reminds me of uh, Victor Frankl, you know, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He says, uh, pretend you're living this life for the second time around and don't make the same mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a bit of wisdom. That's exactly right. All right, number four, consider second-order consequences. Risk doesn't cease to exist just because you ignore it. The idea here is that things can go wrong, and not everything works out exactly the way we originally envisioned or the way we originally hope it would. I think considering possible risk and what could go wrong, second order consequences, particularly when it doesn't achieve the outcome that we originally hoped it would. So considering the risk and what could go wrong, second order consequences, it's like the second order consequences. If you are, you know, trying to lose weight or to get healthy or to improve your revenue, what are the second order consequences of the decisions you're about to make? And this kind of ties into assumptions. You know, we're making the assumption that it's going to work out a certain way. Testing the second order consequences and the risk are a critical part of thinking time. We're going to make a strategic move here in the, in the future, probably in about, well, not probably, we're going to do this in November. We're going to introduce a product that is a much more accessible product financially for our market. So, you know, right now our product started about $1,500 and they go up from there. This is going to be about a $275 product. A second order consequence would be as soon as I do that, within a month, I'm going to need to triple my customer service team. That's exactly right. That's the sort of thing that you're talking about. That's exactly right. You're going to triple your customer service team. Maybe a second order consequence would be that the new product cannibalizes some of your existing product. It right. could be that the new product requires more phone lines in order to be able to accommodate the incremental calls. Whatever that is, it's those kinds of things that I think were called on as CEOs and leadership teams to think about so that we avoid having an unintended consequence. I love it. All right, fifth and final, create the machine. Is this creating the execution strategy that we talked about at the beginning? That's exactly what it is. What's the execution strategy? What's the machine that I'm going to build? And here's the key that helps me overcome the obstacle that's preventing my forward progress. I love it. It's not the machine that 
solves the symptoms. And everybody who's listening to this, I'd like for you to do this exercise real quick on a piece of paper, write down one of your three biggest problems that you currently have. It doesn't matter which part of your life it's in. Write down one of your three biggest problems that you currently have. So everybody's writing right now. Okay, that's it. Exercise is over. Stop writing because it's done. Whatever it is you were writing or that you thought of is not the problem. It's the symptom. If you are writing down, well, I weigh too much. Well, my sales aren't high enough. Well, my profits, my cash flow. We're running out of money. Whatever you were about to write down was the symptom and not the problem. The hardest work I do is figuring out what in the world is the problem that I got. So if my problem is I need to lose 20 pounds, that's a symptom. The actual problem is I'm eating a bowl of ice cream every night before bed. (laughs) There you go. And that's not even the problem. That's another symptom. If you keep drilling deep enough, you'll find the core root problem. And the reason people go on diets and it doesn't work is because they're tactical in their solutions. So somebody says, you know, I want to lose 20 pounds. The first thing they do is they say, what do I need to do? So their brain goes to, well, I tell you what I need to do. I need to join the gym. I need to get an electrical trainer from my house. I need a Peloton. If I just had a trainer, if I just had Oprah's newest diet book, then I could lose. Every one of those is tactical. And the reason they're not successful in losing the weight is because they haven't identified the core root problem. Instead, they're solving for the symptom. And so they build a machine for the problem that isn't. So how do you build a machine that actually solves the real problem? I mean, use the weight loss example. An example would be what if it's not that you're eating ice cream before bed? I'm asking for a friend, Keith. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I have that same friend. (laughs) So the question might be, and I have a whole series of questions in The Road Less Stupid that will help you get clarity on what the problem is. So if the symptom is I'm 20 pounds overweight, maybe the question becomes, why isn't this already solved? How did this become a symptom to begin with? What are the obstacles or the constraints that are preventing me from weighing less? If I could only blank, I could solve this problem. If I only had blank, I could solve this problem. Whose support do I need? What assumptions am I making? All of those are questions that are designed to help you get clarity on what the problem is. If we don't have clarity, if all we do is say, well, my sales aren't high enough, then we're immediately going to gravitate towards let's hire a consultant. Let's follow their recipe as opposed to let me hire a chef who's got a cookbook. And what I'm looking for is I'm looking for clarity on what are the things that are preventing me 
from actually losing the weight or increasing the sales or fixing my cash or my culture problems in my business. Super helpful. I think that's a great note to end on. This really has felt like meeting with uh, Yoda. I'm so (laughs) grateful to know you, Keith. I've got an execution guy on staff who's in charge of execution, and we just kind of put that position in place and we're implementing it. And I think one of the problems is some of our people don't know exactly what their goals are. And I think the real problem is I'm not meeting with my execution guy enough and drilling down on the plan. So just that realization is huge. And uh, we're going to implement that. Well, you're very kind. I'm going to leave this meeting and reread building a story brand. (laughs) Your work has benefited me tremendously. I'm glad you are an example of a guide. If there ever was one, I'm grateful to know you. Thanks for helping the rest of us win, Keith. Thank you very much, Don. Appreciate it. I took notes furiously while I was yeah, doing it. Yeah. And hold on, let me let me tell you what I got here. This is what I think we're going to do on execution. Right now, we, on execution, we do. Tim does a great job. We are humming along. Yeah, we're having our best revenue year ever. We'll probably have our best profit year ever once we turn down this fifty-eight, thirty-eight percent thing. <laughs> uh, once we release that new product. But I think what I realized is the company has a goal. So twenty twenty, our goal is twenty million. So mm-hmm. just because it sounds fun, twenty and twenty. <laughs> twenty and twenty. Yeah, that goal needs a plan. Then each department has to set goals that mm-hmm. get us to twenty million, and then we have to create plans to hit those. And then each individual in the company needs goals. Uh-huh. Then they need to list repeatable tasks that they do every week that associate with those goals because we want to set the rhythm. And then there needs to be an accountability meeting scheduled weekly, every couple of weeks, whatever, with yeah. each employee. All of that came to me while I was listening to this interview with Keith. Yeah, I just realized. That's it. We have an execution system. But, but that repeatable as, task thing is the key. It's the, the repeatable key. task and the yep. meeting keeping you accountable. Yep. That's the key. And this is the sort of thing that he does to overhaul a company. Yeah. That's what we're doing based on just this. It's like an MBA. This whole podcast <laughs> is unbelievable. We say it every time. I was actually having breakfast this morning with my buddy Chris. Chris runs a $15 million company. It'll do 30 next year, and he's scaling it up. And he actually said, where are you getting coach like who's teaching you all of this and, you know who's your business coach and i do have a mentor who teaches me a lot yeah but i couldn't think of it for a second then i realized oh it's the podcast, it's the podcast. <laughs> yeah <laughs> literally just have to talk to somebody new yeah every week yeah who's dissecting our business and helping us figure things out and you get to ride along and, and benefit from all of that incredible wisdom but that's what we're going to do based on this podcast that would have cost tens of thousands yeah. of dollars for a consultant <laughs> exactly. to come in and help you figure that out yeah All right, everybody. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep, Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Band podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.